Well, good evening, y'all. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here today. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Jonah Carpenter. I'm the pastor of Dover Chapel General Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I was also a classmate of Logan's at Oakland City. That's how we got to know each other. When I was a freshman, Logan recruited me to look after a bunch of youth with him. Uh, and then he'd just leave me alone with them. <laughs> But no, I've come to be close friends with Logan, his wife Chloe. Me and Logan have had plenty of times where we've laughed together. One in particular time we cried together in class, but we talk about that way too much already, don't we, Logan? (laughs) But also, I'm not originally from Louisville. I don't know if you can tell from my accent or not. I'm originally from a small town called Paragould, Arkansas. And I tell Logan and Chloe every time I come up here that I miss the country. I miss uh, two-lane highways. I miss the gas station that doubles as the best restaurant in town. I miss seeing barns and farmland. And I make my people at Louisville mad sometimes because I tell them that they aren't country and that we're not living in the country. And automatically their response is, well, don't we live in Kentucky? And I say, no, you live in Louisville. There's a difference. (laughs) And they're like, well, what do you mean we're not country? I said, so if I asked you to go to the mall for me, your response would be, which one? That's not something I grew up around. I grew up with one Walmart and only three Dollar Generals instead of like 15 surrounding me. There is a difference. And so I I love getting to come here and be blessed to preach to y'all today. So if y'all would like to turn with me, the scripture we will be reading today is out of the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And tonight we're going to talk about running with the light. This scripture in Hebrews is some of my favorite. I've been studying a lot out of this book recently, and I feel incredibly blessed to share the scripture with you today. So if you please read with me the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Here it says, Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May y'all please bow your heads with me today. Dear our Lord and Heavenly Father God, we thank you for this day. Lord, help us tonight to focus on your word. May we push back against our distractions tonight and focus on the message that you have for us. Be with those tonight, Lord who have been faced with accidents, for those who are watching online, for those who couldn't be here tonight. May you bless them wherever they are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we read this scripture, I think there's two things we immediately have to do. We have to figure out what is the author meaning by race, and what does this word faith mean? We talk about faith a lot in church, don't we? I think faith may come up in every sermon, in every church, every Sunday, all around the globe. We're always talking about faith. 
But what does the word really mean? I took it upon myself to go to an old textbook I'd had, which was an evangelical theological dictionary, and yeah, it is as boring as it sounds sometimes. And I opened it up, and the definition of the word faith was two full pages long. Because there's a lot of different words in the Bible that describe the word faith, and there's a lot of different ways that we use the word faith. If you were to look it up on Google, you'd pretty much find one word, and that's the word believe. That's what we mean sometimes when we use the word faith. I have faith that the Bengals will make it back to the Super Bowl next year. I have faith that Arkansas will somehow win the College World Series, even if they've already lost it. I believe it. But it's different when we talk about faith in the context of God. Having faith, having confidence in God our Savior. Having faith, having a belief that God will get us to the end. Having faith that God will take care of me. But it's interesting. In the New Testament, especially in the book of Hebrews, there's a specific word from the Greek that we translate to the English word faith. This word is pistis. This word means two things. One, faith, as in the belief in God, the trusting in His plan, our covenant with Him. But also there's another word that's close like it, and that is faithfulness. So as easily as we could read the word faith here in chapter 12, verse 2, we could also say faithfulness. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faithfulness. So what would change what, what does it mean that Jesus is the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith or of faithfulness? One that we must understand about Christ. I know we talk a lot about His death, and yes, that's important, that's what saved us. But what also saved us alongside His death was the life that He lived here on earth before He died a perfect death. Christ lived a life that was faithful. From the time He was born, in which we celebrate on Christmas, to the time He died on Good Friday, Jesus lived a perfect and a sinless life out of faithfulness to God the Father. When He was tempted, He never gave in. When He was told to use His powers to benefit Himself, He never did. Whenever He was faced with the sins of humanity, with Pharisees questioning Him, with Roman guards arresting Him, with Him being crucified as an innocent man, He gave His life. He never went against the will of the Father. Jesus lived a perfect life of faithfulness, of a belief in God, of following the will of God perfectly until He died and then He rose again. Christ lived a life that was faithful. Then again, there's the word race. What is he meaning by the word race? This word race that's used in the book of Hebrews and other books of the Bible as well, it seems to describe running a race that is our own lives. It describes our lives as actually running a race. And it gives multiple other illustrations, multiple other pictures of how our life that we're living for God is much like a race. I recently went to a race last week. Uh, my wife over there, Emma, she's a track coach for Whitfield Academy in Louisville. And 
she had one runner make it to the state track meet in Lexington, Kentucky. And so I went there, actually saw UK and where they play football and where they play basketball. And it was at one of those nearby places where they had the state track meet for 1A. And it, I don't really like track meets. I don't know if y'all have ever been to a track meet, but they take forever and it's hot and the food and water is always so expensive. And because of COVID, they turned off all the free water fountains. But I went there because I love my wife and I wanted to support her. And I really wanted to see this girl run because I also substitute teach at that school. So I wanted to see her run her race. But the thing is, at a track meet, you don't just go there, you see one race and leave. You have to sit through all of these races. And usually I'm bored, but it was something incredible that I saw. I saw the best runners in the state of Kentucky all run. And when you get to that level, it's so interesting because there is not a kid that you would call slow anywhere among them. There's not even a kid that you would call average among them. So many of them are incredible. So many of them, just because they made it to state, it shows that they're at the top level for their state and some at the top level nationally. It was so incredible to see these athletes run and to be in that atmosphere, to see the coaches cheer them on, to see them give them instruction. It was such a wonderful sight. And I, as I looked at this race, I saw a lot of the Scripture in a different way. So many of these illustrations that it gives here describes the environment of a race. The first thing that we see here in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. What does it mean by a great cloud of witnesses? If you would go back and you would read the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it gives something that we call in some churches the hall of faith, which basically is the hall of fame of those who have been faithful to God. If you go through that book, it describes some of the names that we know well in the Bible. Names like Noah who built the ark. Names like Abraham that left everything he had. Names like Joseph who even in prison was faithful to God and trusted in his plan. Names like Moses and these many other names that the author says they could go on forever talking about. It's the best of the best that we read of in Scripture. People that weren't perfect. They weren't perfect like Christ. but They gave it all they could to run the race of life. Running until they hit that finish line, their death, living for God. This is who he means by the great cloud of witnesses. The people who've come before. The people who came before that made it possible for you to be here today. Because I don't know if you realize that sometimes when you come here on Sunday or when you come here on Wednesday, a lot of people gave their lives for you to be here today. And I'm not just talking about the martyrs who died. And yes, I love for them and I pray for those who are about to become them who have given the ultimate sacrifice for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. For I know there are many. But even those that we fail to think about sometimes, the people that I refer to personally as the local saints. It's the pastor that gave so much of his time and so much of his energy to his local congregation. It's to the lady who was the Sunday school teacher that prepared a lesson for the kids every day and went out and spent her own money to make sure they had a snack before church. 
It's for the people that never stopped praying in private, even though no one knew she was praying for them. Those are the clouds of witnesses, the people who've ran that race. But also, there's another cloud of witnesses as well. It's not the people who've came before. It's the people who are around you right now. Right now, you are in a room surrounded by people running a race of life, running the race of faith. Right now, you are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. People who have witnessed you in your race of faith. People that were there the day that you started that race. People that were there the day maybe you stopped racing. The people who helped you from turning around. These are the clouds of witnesses that the book of Hebrews describes. All around me, I'm surrounded, even though I don't know many of you, I'm surrounded by people who are believers. People who for decades of their lives have run the race faithfully. But, it doesn't describe this race as an easy thing, does it? It talks about, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. It's easy to be discouraged when running this race in life. It's easy to be discouraged when you're running a race toward heaven and toward new life. It's easy to want to stop. For some, it's easy, the idea of turning around. And it's interesting it uses the word entangled. Entangled meaning to slow down. Entangled actually meaning to burden one down. Many think when they look at this verse in Hebrews, it's actually referring to something that we can throw off. One uh, author who writes about this describes it almost as heavy clothing. I don't, I don't know how many of you in here have actually ran a race or have known someone that's ran a race, but I'm sure you can look in your minds and remember it, and remember they aren't wearing a whole lot of clothing, are they? My roommate in college, uh, he ran for our university, uh, he would usually wear a tank top and the shortest shorts I've ever seen a man wear in my life. He would literally give me these like $200 running shoes that were called hookahs, and I, they were literally so light, it was unbelievable. And the reason they do that is because they want to run fast, right? They don't want to be burdened down. They want to be able, since for some of them, to go as far as possible, and so they wear that light clothing, the light shorts, and the light top, and the light shoes so they can go farther. Let me ask, have you ever seen someone run a race with a snow coat on? Do you see a lot of people wanting to run a race in baggy jeans? Do you see a lot of people, instead of tying on tennis shoes, tie on a pair of Timberlands or on snow boots in order to run a race? No, you don't. Because they couldn't go as far, could they? It would slow them down. It would tire them out easier. That's a lot like what sin does to us when we're running the race of faith. Your sin wears you down. In my life, I know especially that 
when I'm struggling with sin, it's not only spiritually exhausting, it's not only mentally exhausting, at the same time, it can also be physically exhausting. When I'm struggling with what's happening in the world, when I face someone who discourages me and makes me feel bad, it can throw off my whole day. It can throw off my whole day to the point where I don't even want to see anybody. I don't even want to go anywhere. I just want to sometimes just be stuck in my room in the quiet and do nothing. And I feel like that's what discouragement from other people, the sin of other people can do in our lives. It makes us just want to stop. Sometimes it makes us just want to quit everything that we're doing. But also, it's not just the sins of other people. Even more often, it's our own individual sin that makes us want to slow down. Makes us want to take a break. Makes us want to stop altogether. And maybe it even tempts us to turn around in life. And to go the opposite direction of where God is calling us to be. Sin is an incredibly powerful foe. It has worn down many great men, many great women, far greater than me, far greater than I can imagine. It's weighed them down. In fact, the people that the book of Hebrews described and what we call the Hall of Faith, it wore them down. You read about some of these heroes in the Old Testament, and some of them sound like good guys, they sound like great women, but they all have something in common, and that is at some point in their faith walk, in some point in their race, they failed. Moses failed to follow God's instruction. David, King David, a man after God's own heart, failed to keep his lust in check. Abraham failed at times to have faith that God would provide him a son from his wife, Sarah. All of them, at some point, failed. At some point, you're going to fail. I know at some point, all of y'all have failed, haven't you? Sometimes just by a little bit. And I know like me, you've had those big mistakes, haven't you? Those mistakes that when they come up in your memory, they weigh on you. And maybe that's why we're afraid to come into church sometimes. It's because when we come into church and we hear a sermon or hear a particular verse, it begins to weigh on us. And we want to stop running. We want to stop running in faith. And that's why the author in Hebrews tells us to throw it off. He tells us to let it go. But how is this possible? How is it possible that this thing that's weighed on me for so many years and for some of us maybe even decades, how can I let it go after all this time and after all this pain and all this suffering it's given me? How is it that we can keep going on in this race? And the author gives a beautiful answer here in just the second verse. There's something else I saw in this race that in Lexington with my wife there's something similar I saw in every single runner. And with these runners, they were very diverse. Some of them were very tall and lanky. Some of them were incredibly short. 
There were kids of all different races. There were kids of all different backgrounds. There's kids from the big schools who were from the inner city. There were kids uh, from the small schools in Kentucky, from towns you've never even heard of. And there was kids who were going to public schools and were poor. There was kids that were going to private schools, and you can tell were incredibly well off. There were kids that ran with perfect form. There was kids that ran just off pure talent. But there's one thing I saw that all these runners had in common. And that was where they were looking. When I watched these kids run, no matter what kind of race it was, no matter if it was short or it was long, no matter even how fast the kid was running, if they were in last place or in first place, I saw where their heads were. They weren't looking to the stands trying to find their parents or trying to find their friends or their coaches. They weren't looking down at their feet seeing if they're running properly. They weren't just looking around distracted. Their heads were held high looking right in front of them to the finish line. I describe our lives like a race as the author does. Our lives are like a race which means that sometime we will have a finish line. The finish line being our death or the return of our Savior Christ Jesus to take us home. And we don't know when that time is, do we? We can make predictions, we can make assumptions, but we truly never know the day or the time we don't know the hour, we don't know the minute. But despite that, we keep running. And we keep running despite the sin, despite the discouragement, despite the fact knowing that one day we'll die. How is it that despite all of these things, we keep running towards this finish line of death? And that's because of what we see waiting for us at the finish line. What is waiting is not a complete darkness. What is waiting is not just tormented memories. It's not waiting for eternal punishment for the sins that we've committed that have weighed us down. No. What's waiting for us is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The one who ran the race perfectly, who never once failed, who never once slowed down, who never once came to a complete stop, who always went forward faithfully and ran the race until the end. Unlike us, Jesus knew the finish line. He knew that finish line that waited for Him at Golgotha. He knew the finish line where a cross waited for Him with nails to be driven into His hands. He knew the image of His finish line and yet He went faithfully. For He knew that death would not be His end, but one day He would rise again. I told you that you're going to fail. I told you that at some point in your life you've already failed. So how is it that we can run a race based on faith if we know that we're going to fail? How is it even possible that sinners like us 
could make it to the end? How is it possible that we can throw off the years of torment and the years of pain that sin has brought upon our lives? It's because we know that we don't have to be perfect because Jesus was already perfect for us. He was perfect in your place. He died perfectly on the cross in your place. He took on all the suffering of sin so that you could run the race. And when you got to that finish line, you knew that you were secure in Him. That no longer would you suffer of sin of your own or any of the sin of this world that's weighed you down. You will make it until the end and be with Christ in paradise. How do we keep running? It's because we see Christ waiting for us at the finish line. And we know He will help us in our race. So knowing these things, I ask you, live a life that is faithful to God. Run the race to the finish and live a life that's faithful to God. But let me also ask, what does it mean to live a life that is faithful to God? It means to live a life where you follow His will. No matter what it is, no matter where it takes you, follow the will of God. Well, how do we know God's will for ourselves? And we do this by a few ways. One, we follow His commands that we know in Scripture. That's why we ask ourselves to read the Bible so that we know ourselves and we can see it in His Word what we are supposed to do, how we're supposed to think about certain things, how we know right from wrong. We also pray to God. We ask Him for clarity. We ask Him for understanding. We gather. The word church literally means to gather. We gather here because we need to join the cloud of witnesses. We come here because there's going to be times where you're failing. There's going to be times that you want to slow down and you need some encouragement to get you going again. You need some people that are willing to grab your hand. You need some people who are willing to throw your arm over their shoulder and help carry you until you can get going on your own again. You need people that can also help you understand what God wants you to do. And there is one thing specifically that God asks every single one of you to do. No matter what gifts you've been given, no matter where you're from, no matter how long you've been a Christian or how short you've been a Christian, there is something that God has asked of you to do in your faithful life to Him. And that is to not proclaim how good you are not proclaim your own faith, but to proclaim the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That is something that we know as the Gospel. That Christ lived and died and rose again. That we may too die and know that one day we will be raised again with Christ as well if we have faith in Him. So as we run, we must be faithful to Christ by proclaiming His faithfulness. 
that saved us from our sins so that others who do not yet know it, who haven't started running yet, may also know the wonderful news of what Christ has done for us. So no matter what we face, no matter what discouragement comes our way, no matter what happens in the world, let's run together. Spiritually, let's run together. And I know it's going to be hard sometimes because there's plenty of things in life that want to slow us down. Plenty of things that want to get us off course. Plenty of things that want to distract us from the finish line that can slow us down, that can make us stop, that can discourage us. There are many physical troubles that we'll have in our lives. Problems that we'll have in our family. Problems that we'll have with our friends. Problems that will even happen to our own bodies as the curse of sin begins to take its toll on us through the years. But no matter what happens to us, it's important for all of us to never forget to preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ no matter where we go. In our schools, in our workplaces, among our friends, among our family dinners, always be quick to preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ and never cease. There's a race that I thought fit, fit perfectly for tonight. It's known as the torch relay. You see it about once every four years for the Olympics. You see someone carry a torch and they pass it off one another to get to the finish line, which is the giant torch at the Olympics. But what's something that I didn't know, that some of you may not know, is that every year as people parade around with this torch, there are thousands of people whose goal it is to see that flame die out. Every four years, if you look hard enough on the news, you'll see a story about how in Greece the church stops out, starts out, and crowds of people will have water guns ready, spraying the person down carrying it to get the torch out. You'll see protesters, maybe in China, throwing buckets of water at them in order to get media attention for their cause. There was even a person once in Germany who attempted to tackle the person running that they may take off with the torch themselves. You carry the light of Christ with you wherever you go. You are called to let it shine by proclaiming the gospel of what Christ has done. And this world wants that light to go out. It wants it to cease. And there are many things that will happen to you in attempts to get that light to go out. People that you thought would never leave you will turn their back on you. People will tell you no. People will call you crazy. Even your own body will make it hard to keep the faith in Christ as you begin to suffer. Lord willing, I hope that I'm giving decades and given a long life to live for God, a long life to preach the gospel. But with that, I know it comes many struggles that I've seen in my brothers and sisters in Christ. I know that one day my body will wear out on me. I know one day will come where I can't run as fast as I used to physically because of my legs and my knees, and I know I will slow down. Maybe there will come a time where I can't even stand on my two feet anymore. 
But even if that happens, physically, I know I can't run, but spiritually, I will continue to run as far as I can for Christ and preach the Gospel. Even as my hands grow numb from the arthritis that I may take on, spiritually, I will still try and reach out to my brothers and sisters and give a helping hand when they need it. Even if my vocal cords, after decades of preaching, become shot, I will continue to preach, to proclaim. Mainly not by shouting as loud as I have been, but in a whisper. Whispers of encouragement to my children, to my grandchildren, to those who the Lord has placed around me in order to share my wisdom with. And I do this knowing one day, I'm going to cross that finish line. One day I'll see Christ who died for me. And I know He will embrace me. I know I'll cross that finish line and I'll see those clouds of witnesses. I'll see my great-grandparents who came before me, who made it so my family was reconnected with the church. I know I'll see the people who are no longer with me here on this earth who have changed my life from Miss Betty, who every Sunday prepared a children's church lesson for us, even though there would only be a few kids in the room, to great deacons who I've known, who have lived and have died, but yet have given so much encouragement and life to my family. I know you have these people as well. People who you've mourned for. People who you're sad because you know they're not in the pew where they used to sit. I tell you, there are witnesses to our lives and they wait for us at the finish line with Christ our Savior. Can I ask the band to come up as we wrap up? As I said before, I don't know many of you here. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know what life has been like for you these past few years. I don't even know what the past few months have been like as everything has gone up in price and everything has gotten harder. And I've known at some point in our lives there's times where we want to slow down on this church stuff. There's times where we maybe want to stop reading as much. There's times where we want to stop serving. There's times where we just want to quit talking about the church and quit talking about Jesus and the Bible. But we can't. Christ has done too much for us. The sacrifice of what Christ, the sacrifice Christ gave in our place is too great for us just to ignore, just for us to set to his side. We must run. Run faithfully, throwing away the sin that wore us down and giving it to Christ who bore it for us and still ran. We must never stop spreading the love of Jesus wherever we go. If there's anyone here who's felt wore down for way too long, if there's anyone here who maybe it's, has just had a complete stop, you face too much discouragement, you face too much hurt, you face too many bad memories, and you feel like you can't go on anymore. Let me ask you today, don't look down, look up. Look up to the finish line. Look up to Christ who's waiting for you in heaven. Look to Him for His discouragement. 
encouragement. Look to your brothers and sisters who are running faithfully and know that they will reach out their hands and help you run. Tonight is the night where some of you can get back on your feet. Tonight may be the night for some of you where the very first time you start running towards that finish line waiting for you. As I'm praying, I'm going to pray here. If any of you want to start running tonight, again for the first time, bow your heads. Talk to Jesus. He will listen. Say that, Lord, I'm ready to come to you. Please be waiting for me. Please help me have the faith to start or keep going today. Would you please bow your heads with me today? Dear our Lord and Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this day and I thank you that we can have faith in someone who's perfect. I thank you that we can have faith in not just another man, not just another woman, not just someone that's going to disappoint us, not just someone who is going to give out on us at the end. But no, there's someone who waits for us in heaven. There's someone who is present right here, right now, as we run faithfully towards you. And Lord, I pray for those who are discouraged here today, for those who have stopped, for those who haven't started yet. I pray that they reach out to you. And may they know that you're grabbing onto their hands today. Or however someone is, no matter what situation they're in, may they know that you're with them. Help us run today, Lord. Help us spread your light wherever we are. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.